Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the region of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of God, and placed into the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the king's the chief's eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate, and the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of the time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, the tribe of Judah, and the chief eunuchs gave them the names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Melshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Please keep your Bibles open. I think we can contend with the noise of the fan just so we get a bit of air moving around the place. Hopefully that will um, make a bit more comfortable. Certainly make me a bit more comfortable, uh, if that's all right. Uh, welcome. Um, my name's Rob. It's lovely to have you here. Um, it's lovely to meet again together, isn't it? Um, I know that we've had lots of people um, away for a bit over the summer, so it sort of feels like start of September. We start to see people a bit more regularly, don't we? Um, so it's great that you can come along. Um, over the summer, we had a, a summer series. You'll probably hear for some of that um, in the book of Acts and chapters 1 to 6. And it's wonderful to have some guests with us from different churches, uh, particularly one of the co-mission churches down in Mayfair. And they sent three, three of their um, young preachers along, and we, we were benefiting from what they were sharing with us. And, and we were hearing, weren't we, that about the foundation, what, what it is as a church we're to be about. What is the must-have about meeting together? And one of the things we heard is uh, it's about prayer and the ministry of the word. The chance we get to sit under God's word together. Um, so, it, ha- however we come to Sundays, really, in some ways. Some, some weeks we feel like buzzing for it. Other weeks we feel like, oh, I'm a bit, I'm a bit, bit worn out. But, but the, God's word is the important bit, isn't it? Where we get to hear from him. Um, so I hope you're able to, to, to enter in, uh, to, to get something away today. Um, that you've been thinking about as you've been looking at God's Word. Um, for that reason, I'm going to need the Bible. And this, this term, autumn term, we're going to be um, just exclusively in the book of Daniel. And that gives us a chance, doesn't it, to, um, to spend time in one book and to really see what the application of that book is as it was intended, rather than jumping around a bit. Uh, because then we could say whatever the Bible we want the Bible to say. But if we stay in one book um, and, and read it as the Spirit inspired it, um, then we're, we're probably on the right track. Um, so, we're just looking at the first seven verses of Daniel. And in God's providence, he knew we needed only seven verses for today, okay? Um, usually you do the whole of chapter one, so, you know, we just need seven verses, okay? Uh, we're going to set up the whole of the series uh, looking at these verses together. And we are going to see this application for us. 
Um, but it is going to be kind of a, a, a headline to what's coming um, in the book as well. Um, who here has looked at the book of Daniel before? Yeah? Can anyone sort of remember a sermon series or something that struck them from the book of Daniel? Um, something? I mean, we all know some of the famous stories in the book of Daniel, don't we? Yeah? Great. Well, I hope by the end of this time today and also over the autumn term that we're going to be really um, struck by the God of Daniel, who, is, who he is and um, what he is like. Um, let's pray. Father God, we assume that through our power and influence, we ultimately decide what happens. We are proud. And we need you to humble us before we can acknowledge that you rule, that you rule over the kingdom of men and that you give it to whoever you choose. Please help us today with the heat, with the distractions. Don't let pride stop us from knowing you. Humble us as you did with Nebuchadnezzar to know who you are and to bow to you in worship. Amen. Uh, well, just keep, look at uh, chapter one, uh, the first little bit after chapter, where it's got the big number one. It says, it tells us when, so it tells us when we're talking about, gives us the context, isn't it? So, first one, one verse one, when is it? It's the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king, king of Judah. It tells us what happened then, Whereas in, in verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar came to Babylon and to Jerusalem, uh, to Jerusalem sorry, and besieged it. And he took off uh, some of the people and he took off the vessels from the temple. And he brought them to his land and to the house of his God and he placed them in the treasury of his God. So it tells us what happened. And it also tells us why this happened. Uh, verse 2. Uh, verse uh, 2, yeah. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. So right at the very start of this book, we're not left in any kind of doubt as to what is going on and, and, and why ultimately it happened. God gave the king of Judah and all of the people of Jerusalem, all of God's people, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. He, he made it happen. He decided for that to happen. And it, it's, it should get us thinking, why? <laughs> you know, why would God do that? It's sort of like scoring an own goal, isn't it? Giving all of his people away to a bloodthirsty, angry, proud king like Nebuchadnezzar, who worships all the other gods, other gods than the, the true God. Why would he do that? Um, well, I did ask you to think about this before you came, so I don't know if you have had a chance to do that, but... Um, Maybe just sit next to someone who looks like they've had the chance to do that and, uh, and see what they've got to say. Uh, but come up with a few answers. Why, why do you think? What can we get from both the Bible, in terms of what comes before the book of Daniel, to suggest why God has done this? And maybe even from the book of Daniel itself, maybe you've been reading it and you can think, what, what's the reason God has for doing this? Chat to the person next to you for a few minutes. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel 1, verse 2. Um, and we're asking why he did that. Why did he hand the king of Judah into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar? Any thoughts? Great, because you two are, like, flying away with it. I'm going to, like, 4, verse nine, uh, 17, let's do that first then. Um, you forced me into it. I wasn't going to do it, but... Um, so the answer has come back as being God's doing this for his own glory, so that more people get to hear about him. 
and he's using his people even when they're making a complete mess of things. And I think you're onto a good right track there because if you look down at 4 verse 17, this is in the thick of, like I said, 1 to 4 was all about Nebuchadnezzar, really, and God humbling him to see that he is the God overall. And uh, God, through Daniel, says um, the sentence in verse 17 of chapter 4, the sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills and sets over it the lowliest of men. So we, that's absolutely right. God is using the situation. It is an amazing thought, isn't it, that God is using even human rebellion, and we'll get to that in a moment, but he is using the situation to bring himself glory so that more people would know him. So that's one of the reasons why, why he's doing this. Why he gives them over into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. So that Nebuchadnezzar himself would know. He says that earlier on as well. So that you may know. And so that the the living may know. That I am the Lord. That that he is the most high. So that's one of the reasons. Um, Any other reason? Yeah? Thank you. Okay, so, so we're at this point in, in quite a crucial point in Israel's history, aren't we? That um, northern Israel has already been taken off. This is southern Israel, and this is Judah. And they've been promised, God has warned them, that if they break the covenant he makes made with them, the law that he'd given them, if they rebel against him, then, then he would have to punish them, that they would be taken from the land and be taken off. So, so we have these two reasons happening at the same time, right? We have, and I'm going to just rephrase them from the point of view of God, okay? They're the same answers that we just said, but it's phrased as God. God is something, okay? The first reason God does this is because God is just. He must punish sin. He is just. He has to deal with sin. He can't sweep it under the rug, even the sin of his own people. Rebellion, he has to do something about it. It's wrong. He wouldn't be morally right if he didn't do something about it. Um, But the second reason... Um, and that's the one we were talking about is glory. He wants all people to know him. And that's what comes through at the end of at chapter 4. We start to see that God's been doing this all along. He's been um, using human rebellion, even human rebellion, to, so that more people would know that he is God. Isn't that incredible? I mean, at the same time as not uh, compromising on his character at all, on his holiness, on his justice... In the same time as being God, he can actually bring people to see that he is God. That's an amazing thing. Only, only the true God would be able to do that. That's, that's, that's genius, isn't it? Um, that he is able to do that. Um, so he is just, he punishes sin. And at the same time, he wants all people to know him. But we are going to start off looking at the first of those. God is just, he will not sweep our rebellion under the rug. We're right to think Daniel chapter 1 talks about a very low point in the history of the country and of God's people because um, this is everything about this situation is we can tell that something's not right. We'll look at it together. Um, God's people, they don't really look like God's people anymore, do they? If I was to ask you um, to name sort of like the top two things that you think uh, sort of uh, influence or, or, or show what someone's cultural identity is, okay? 
What, to, what top things would you suggest show someone's cultural identity? Dress, yeah, I did think of that one, yeah. Dress, what they wear. Language, right, okay. What's the other one? Anything else? Okay, the Africans here will know this. What did you say? Names, thank you. So, language and names and dress, they're all things that on the outside show what someone's identity is. And if we look at the situation for God's people here, um, we'll get to the fact that they're in a foreign land at the moment. But, but let's read from verse 3. The king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that he ate, and that the king ate, and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So you pick up all of the details of what they look like on the outside now, the changes that they're undergoing, and it's like all of their identity is being completely stripped away. Yeah? I think, you know, the Africans know this more than us, you know, maybe more some of the people who aren't from those countries, because language, in terms of your tribe, in terms of your name, you can, you can find out which tribe someone's from by the language they speak and by the name that they have. And, and here we have God's people um, who are being assimilated into Babylon. That's the program they're under. Complete assimilation. How do we make them like everyone else in Babylon? Well, we, we take them, we give them three years of training to learn the language of, the, uh, of that country. Um, and in learning the language, they're going to learn all the culture, all of the uh, worship of other things, fascination with astrology and all of these kind of things, and prayers and all of those kind of things. And, and we're going to give them a new name as well. It's not a neutral name they, they get. It's not like a number they're given, like what, you're number one, you're number two, you're number three. No, it's, it's actually taking their name, which was a reference to Yahweh, their God. Let's have a look at those names. Their names were Daniel, uh, which means God is my judge. Hananiah, Yah has been gracious. Mishael, who is what God is. Azariah, Yah has helped me. And now they're called Belteshazzar, which means Bel. The Bel will protect their God will protect. Meshach, belonging to Aku, another of their gods. Shadrach, inspired of Aku, and Abednego, servant of Nego. Their identity as God's people is going to be, or from the outside, they don't look like God's people anymore. So we should think this is a pretty (laughs) dire situation to find God's people in. Something pretty serious has happened here. But we don't have to assume that just from the outside details. Because as Kenny said, in the Bible we're told that this is a direct consequence for them rebelling against God's law. From them rebelling against him. And uh, if you look with me, uh, we'll just jump forward to, um, to Daniel's prayer um, in chapter 2. Um, sorry. 
Sorry, I'm getting confused. Um, Can we jump forward to Daniel's prayer in chapter 9? Uh, Verse 11. Daniel himself says, he says, All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us, because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us, by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been anything done like what has been done against Jerusalem. So we can see on the outside, we can assume something's wrong by these outward appearances, but, but, but inwardly we can see that there's a deep spiritual problem, <laughs> the problem of sin. And God is bringing his judgment on his own people because they have transgressed his law. So God's people being under the curse of the law is, is, should be a pretty troubling thing to see. And yet that's exactly what we see in Daniel chapter 1. It's, 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 it's outward, we see these outward changes, but we see that there's actually an inward problem as well. Um, there's another reference to this. Um, they're taken off to a place called Shinar. Um, interestingly, that's named because um, of the Tower of Babel. Last time we hear that name, it's linked to the Tower of Babel. And we think of the uh, arrogance of people then. You know, we, we can be great. How great we are. We don't need God. And uh, from Babel we get Babylon. So they're in a place which is linked to arrogance, wanting to be away from God, thinking they can stand on their own two feet, not need him, and everything about their identity as God's people has been stripped away. So it's, it's, it's pretty serious. But it is showing us that God is just. He cannot simply sweep rebellion or sin under the rug. He is just. He has to deal with it. He has to punish sin. Um, We are going to hear more about how he is going to redeem his people and what he's going to do to save them and to take away the curse of the law for sin. But for the moment, it's worth seeing that God's people are still under the curse of the law and something needs to be done to help them, to save them. So what is God going to do in this situation? Um, well, I guess if he wasn't the true God, he would be thinking, oh, oh no, didn't plan for this to happen. What am I going to do now? But he, has, he can work all these situations around, and he even planned for them to happen. Uh, both for him to be God, to be just and righteous, but also for people to come and see him as the true God. Um, so the second thing we're going to see um, is that the most high rules, coming up, God rules the kingdom of men, and he will not abandon his people. So even in this really dark, bleak situation, that's, what, that's who he is. Um, when Daniel said, this is happening to Nebuchadnezzar, what did he say? So that you may know, what did he say? So that the living may know that... The living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and that he gives it to whoever he chooses. 
to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. What God wants us to know, he wants us to know him. One of the things he wants us to know from these events in Daniel is that he is ruling over the kingdoms of men. So the kingdoms of men, uh, the men themselves ruling, have been given that responsibility to do, but that God himself rules over them. And he gives it, he takes away, and he gives it to someone else. Um, he takes it away from Jehoiakim, who he'd given the, the kingdom to for a little bit. He gives it to Nebuchadnezzar. He'll give it to other people. And in the end, he gives the kingdom of men to his son, Jesus. And that's what we're going to see in Daniel chapter 7, the, the prophecies of Daniel chapter 7, about the son of man who is presented before the ancient of days. And God gives the kingdom of men to this, this one who will rule forever. So that's what he wants us to know about what he is like. That's what he wanted people in Babylon to know about him. And that's what he wants all people in Beckentry to know about him. And even at the point where the opposite seems to be happening, even at the point where you think, it doesn't look like he's doing that, does it? It certainly doesn't look like he's doing that. But that's what he's doing. And so even today... In the situations we find ourselves in, when it doesn't look like God's doing that. I mean, I went to the Oval the other weekend. There was probably twenty or 30,000 people all watching a cricket game. And yet, in churches, in Dagenham, even the, even the good church, the ones who are speaking God's word, how many people would you find? It doesn't look, does it, like God is doing this. <laughs> it doesn't look like he's making himself known and bringing all people to know him. But even when it looks like he's not doing that, that's what he's doing. And he can even use the most rebellious hum human efforts to do that. So we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar. He had no concern. He, didn't, he wasn't doing what he was doing for, for God. For, for, for God's benefit and yet God used that whole situation uh, to bring about Nebuchadnezzar to know who he is that he rules and so that all the people of Babylon would know it reminded me actually a bit of Pharaoh Pharaoh is that, is that kind of guy isn't he, the guy who says no I'm, I'm not pushover I'm not, you know, not getting past me and yet God uses in the negative the judgment on Pharaoh to show more people what he is like. That's what he's about. And that's what he's doing. Well, what does this mean for us? Um, I said that God is about this. He is about all people coming to know him. And that he, to know that he rules over all people. And so if you, you're coming new to this, um, to the Bible, and looking at it for the first time, that would be quite a new thought to you. We tend to, don't we? We tend to sort of think, well, the power that we have, that's what's going to cut it. That's what's going to have most impact. The influence of powerful people. We don't tend to think that there actually is a God behind all of that. Deciding who has the rule in the first place. We tend to ignore that, don't we? And the big take home for you, I think, from this chapter, 
and from the rest of Daniel, and as we go through it, I hope you're going to see this, is that this God who rules over all people everywhere is staggering thought to think that he wants you to know him. That the events of Daniel are there so that you may come to know him. Important people don't tend to um, give much time to, to those who aren't important, right? In your workplace, you have important people. Um, they're probably very difficult to get any time with, even if you send them lots of emails. But the, this God, the God who rules over all people, wants, to know, wants you to know him. He, he is making himself known to people. That is a staggering thought, isn't it? But the one barrier, the one obstacle to us knowing him is sin. It was this problem back then for the people of God, and it's the problem today. And the problem is that sin is a form of pride, and pride stops us from knowing God. Because all the while we think that we're the best thing, or the most important one, we're not going to acknowledge that he is God over all, that he is God over us. And when we're used to thinking that we can do everything ourselves, we don't need help, then we're not going to be able to admit that there's something that we can't do. We can't put right our own sin. And God is just, so he can't leave that sin unpunished. Actually, the fact that we see him following through with his gracious warnings here means that we would be so foolish to ignore his warnings to us today. We'd be so so foolish to ignore his warnings because just as they came about in exactly the way that God said they would then, it is for us a warning to sit up and listen. When God says, I am coming back, the Lord Jesus is returning, you need to bow the knee to him. You need to know him as your Lord and Saviour. That is the only way to be safe when God's judgment comes. If he forgives your sins, if he takes on himself the curse for sin, be incredibly foolish to say, nah, I don't think that's going to happen. I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. You ain't going to cross that bridge. God's warnings are gracious and they're kind because of who he is. He's true. He's just. And here we see, actually, he he warns because he loves. Because he wants people to come and to know him. And one of the things we need to do is we need to, if you're in that situation, to ask God to humble us. As we said, sin is a form of pride. And what we see in Nebuchadnezzar is he's a proud man. A proud man. And what God first needs to do in Nebuchadnezzar is humble him. He brings, he brings him low. And it's at that point that he can acknowledge who God is. All the while before he's saying, oh, right, there must be something in this God of Daniel. This God of Daniel is a great guy. Actually, he's quite someone I quite like to have on my side. But it's only actually when God brings him down and humbles him. And so when, when we come to God, why don't you simply ask him to humble you? Because unless that happens, you won't be able to see him as the king of kings. You won't be able to know him. You will not be able to acknowledge your own need of him to save you. Um, we also see the alternative. Um, so I said Nebuchadnezzar is like the... the It ends well, all's well that ends well. Nebuchadnezzar is humbled and he's brought to see who God is. But Belshazzar is the opposite. 
You'll see in another king, Belshazzar, he doesn't, he doesn't acknowledge God. And he faces God's judgment. So I hope that you, over these weeks, if you're coming to this new and you're looking at the Bible for the first time, that, that this will be the headline for you. God wants people to know him. He wants you to know him. And a, a prayer that he would humble you so that you would do that would be a great way to go. Um, if you're a Christian, you're someone who has come to see who this God is, he has humbled you and to see that he is God most high, that he rules over all people and over your life. And he, will, he does eternally rule through the Lord Jesus Christ. But this, but this book is really helpful. It will be really helpful for you because, and for me, because you see the people on the screen, they're, they're, they're people who have Jesus as their king in their heart. The one who rules them is Jesus. He is their new king. And yet they're living in a world which doesn't acknowledge the rightful king. They're living in a world that has worships every other king. That's just a thing of selfie, isn't it? The selfie culture, you know. We are ruling ourselves. And this book, as we get into chapter 1, you'll see from verse 8, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. So next week we're going to be looking at some of the, the the response in the life of the Christian, the person who has Jesus as their king and is living in a place which doesn't acknowledge him. What does it look like to be a Christian in that environment? And we'll be thinking practically about that. So um, there'll be situations for Christians where you are being told to do something that denies the God, that completely denies him. You're, you're being asked to do something where, where you're saying, I'm just going to, I need to worship the God of this age, or I need to worship the God that everyone else is saying I need to worship. There, might, there will be moments where you need to say, no, I'm not going to do that. And there'll be other moments which aren't quite as clear cut. And we'll be looking at some of those examples next week. But um, the headline for us as Christians is that in the end, even in these situations, he will deliver those who put their trust in him. He will deliver those who put their trust in him. He's, it looks in the situation like he's not ruling, that he's not that this situation is, is, is out of his control and yet he is still the most high ruling the kingdom of men and he has given the kingdom to Jesus who is going to return to reign and so in, in that, on that day and even through, through the lives that we live he can deliver us um, even when that's difficult even when we face a lot of difficulty uh, in living for him um, so that's just an introduction the book of Daniel, I hope you get into it yourself, personally, as you read it through. Um, try and keep those things in your mind. What are we learning about God? God is just. He has to punish sin. He can humble the proud, like he did with Nebuchadnezzar. He rules over the kingdom of men, and he wants all people to know that he does that. And he's using this situation uh, to show that he's doing that to more and more people. Let's praise him now. Let's thank him that he is the God who does that. It is a wonderful thing that he rules the, the kingdom of men. You think about it, if, if it was any one of us or any one of the people we read about in the newspapers ruling the kingdom of men, 
we're, we're in trouble, aren't we? Um, isn't that a wonderful thing? We have a God who rules over all people, even the ones who he puts in charge. Um, so let's pray to him now. Let's pray. Father God, thank you uh, for who you are. Thank you that you reveal yourself as a God who rules the kingdoms of men and you give it to whoever you choose. Thank you that you are both, you have the right to do that and you are able to do that. Uh, We see that here. And thank you that you want us to know that about you. You want us to know you for ourselves. Uh, We pray that as we get into this book together that we would uh, learn much of you and that we would respond to you with faith, listening to what you say. We pray that we would put our trust in you and not in the kingdoms of men. And we pray that we would trust that you would deliver us even when there's lots of things going on against us. And we pray for those who don't yet know you. We pray that in, the, in studying this book together, in looking at it together, they would come to know you. That from their mouth they would declare who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.